Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Uh, this, this summer, we are going through the Apostles' Creed, uh, looking at the fundamentals of Christianity. And we want to start each week uh, reciting the Apostles' Creed, not just so that we can memorize it in our heads, but Lord willing, through the Spirit, cherish it in our hearts. So together, let me ask you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, as we turn our attention today to the profession that you are creator of the heavens and the earth, give us faith to see, faith to believe, faith to understand how marvelous this is. Help us to understand that you being creator of all things, what this has to say about our identity, the identity of those around us, and how we should interact with the world that you have placed us in. And so God, pray by your Holy Spirit that you would make this happen for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. As many of you know, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. And when I went off to college, it was about two hours west to the University of Missouri. And one thing I discovered at the University of Missouri is that when you encounter someone else who's from St. Louis, the first question you ask them is always the same. And I think it's unique to St. Louis. And so if you find out someone's from St. Louis, the first thing you ask them isn't, what is your name? The first thing you ask them is, what high school did you go to? I don't know if that's common throughout the world, but in St. Louis, this was a common joke. We'd always ask people, what high school did you go to? And then once they share, we'd be like, okay, what's your name again? And that's when we were interested in that. The reason why I think, I try to analyze why is it that this was the first question people asked. And I think part of it is good. We wanted to understand, you know, more about that person, what their experiences were. You know, it tells us kind of what socioeconomic class they were in, how diverse their neighborhood was and things like that. In a negative way, I think part of it was to judge whether this person was worth my time or not, whether they were valuable to me. You know, if they grew up in the, the poor areas, then we'd probably say, oh, you know, I don't want to invest my time. But if you grew up in Ladue, wow, that's like upper class. I need to get to know this person because it could benefit me. 
you know, where they came from, what high school they went to, told us a little bit about who they were. And we made sweeping generalizations based on simply the high school they went to. In an, in an existential way, meaning as we think about our existence as human beings, as we consider on a very macro level where we came from ultimately, it doesn't just tell us a little bit about who we are. It actually tells us the most important things about who we are. You see, all of us are asking the question or should be asking the question, where did I come from? Do I have value? What is my purpose in life? Those are questions that all human beings should be asking. And what we find out is that as we answer the question, where did we come from? It answers all these other questions. And the best way to find the answers to these questions is in Genesis chapter 1. And so if you would, please open to Genesis chapter 1. Uh, no matter what Bible you are, on, are in, there's a good chance that it's page 1. And so please open up to page 1. If it's not page 1, uh, throw your Bible away and get one that starts Genesis 1 on page 1. As we continue the Apostles' Creed, again, the portion that we are covering today is that God our Father is creator of heaven and earth. The word Genesis literally means beginnings or origin. And so the book of Genesis is the book of origins or the book of beginnings. It is a book inspired by God given through Moses. And Moses wrote it while the Israelites, the people of God, were wandering and wondering in the wilderness, wondering the same questions that we're asking, like, where did we come from? Do we have value? What is our purpose in this world? And God reveals these answers by his grace through Moses to the people of God then and to the people of God today. Now, the passage that we're looking at is a large passage. We're going to cover Genesis 1-1 all the way through Genesis 2 verse 3. And so we're going to break it up and cover it a little bit at a time. And so the first thing that we see from this passage in Genesis chapter 1 is that God created all things. Look at verse 1 and 2 with me. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Let's look at the first four words of this passage. The first four words of the Bible are, in the beginning, God. <laughs> That's a great place to begin, isn't it? Because God has always existed, even before the creation of the world. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are eternally past and eternally future. There was never a time where these, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit did not exist. They always were and always will be. And what it tells us is that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In other words, God created everything that is above us and everything that is below us, as well as anything inside of us. God created all of these things. And he did it from nothing. You know, some, some religions believe that, that God created the world. They're all trying to figure out how, where did we come from? Where did the world come from? Some of the ancient religions, the polytheistic cultures, believe that, that there was this ball of, of like Play-Doh that God had to start with and he would parse it out into planets and the people and things like that. Others believe that, that, the, that, the, that, that the world is a creation of these gods who fought and when they spilt blood, it made the seas and the rivers and things like that. 
for the Christian, according to the Bible, God made everything out of nothing. Ech nihilo is the, is the Latin phrase for it. And there's even, there's even a, a, a saying, ech nihilo, nihil fit, which means out of nothing comes nothing, right? And that is always true, except for God. <laughs> God can take nothing and make something out of it. It's so funny because, you know, you try to illustrate these things. There's no illustrations for this. I mean, a magician will make something kind of appear, right? But, but even that, you know, it's a scam. It's, he's just make it's a mirage, right? But God takes nothingness and he creates everything in the entire universe. Now, what does that mean for us? Why is that important to us? Why, why is it important to know that God made all things from nothing? Well, first off, if God made all things from nothing, then it means he created you and he created me. We'll get back to that later. But it, secondly, it, if God created all things from nothing, then it means all things come from God and belong to God and exist for God. But thirdly, if God created all things from nothing then it means that we are to enjoy his creation but never stop at his creation. We should be in awe of his creation but we must look through the creation to the creator and be in awe of the creator. Now we often fail at this. Romans 1.25 says, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. You know, this is something that all of us are susceptible to, especially here in Wisconsin, a beautiful state. There is a, there is a temptation to worship creation, to worship the woods, to worship the lakes, to worship the rivers, to, to delight in these things and let our praise end there and not look through them to the creator. There's a temptation to worship the stars, to tell us our future, and which way we should go. Probably even more practically is that we worship other people. Uh, those are created things. Maybe we worship that boy that we like or that girl that we like or we worship that child that we just had. Of course, these are precious, awe-inspiring parts of creation, but we take these good things and make them ultimate things. We stop at the creation instead of looking through them to the creator. You know, we live in an amazing universe, and there are so many factoids I could bring out and share with you about how, how grand our universe is, but let's just think about our sun. If, if we were to all hop in a bus going 553 miles per hour, that would be, that'd be fast. If we drove 553 miles per hour, do you know how long it would take us to get to the sun? 19 years going at 553 miles per hour. If we upped the speed and went to 590 miles per hour, guess how long it would take us to get to Pluto, the last planet in our solar system? 680 years. That's how big our solar system is. Now, if our sun was the size of, of, of our front door at home, um, in comparison, the earth would be the size of a nickel. And you can fit a million earths into one sun. Now, here's the kicker. Our sun is one of 100 billion suns in the Milky Way galaxy. And the Milky Way galaxy is one of a hundred billion galaxies in the observable universe. 
And then here's you on this little planet called Earth. Are you starting to feel small yet? Why does God make the universe so grand, so complex, so awe-inspiring? Not that we would stop at creation, but that we would look through creation to the greatness of our creator. Romans 1.19 says, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Friends, when you study the outermost reaches of the universe, or if you look at the Grand Canyon, or if you simply pick up a blade of grass to study it, it should inspire us to awe because of the complexity and the beauty of it. But we must never stop there. We must look through it to the creator. You know, one of the words that I have to work out of my vocabulary is the term nature, right? I had to work that out of my vocabulary and the, and the phrase mother nature, right? It's really secularizing what the Bible tells us. It's, it's not simply nature, it's creation, and it, and it isn't governed by Mother Nature. It's governed by Father God who sustains all things and keeps all things together. And so as we look this summer at a sunset, at a thunderstorm, as a deer crossing the road, we should look at these things with marvel and look through them to the creator of all things, our great God. God created all things. Second thing that I want to see here, and there's so much. You could spend a summer in Genesis chapter 1. But the second thing I want us to see here is that God created all things good. As I look through the days of creation, I, I, I realize, you know, I forget what goes on what day, like where God created certain things. And so I started watching some YouTube clips this week uh, to see how I could memorize what God created the different days of the week. And so I had learned a way of doing it with my hand and I'm going to involve you in this. I promise this is what the cool kids do. All right. It's trending on all the social media. Uh, it's preparation for VBS. And so this is supposed to be interactive. So if you're not too cool for me, I uh, would appreciate if you do this with me. First, if you would hold up your index finger, all right? Your index finger is a candle. Blow it out like that. All right, God creates light and darkness, day one, okay? Verse three, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Then we get to day two, two fingers, all right? Turn it sideways, you have scissors. God separates the waters to create the sea and the sky, all right? Verse six, I learned that I can't move my fingers and read at the same time during the first service. So just imagine me going like this. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. Okay, day three, all right, day three. You have three fingers up. Here you have dry land, all right, and here you have your vegetation, whether it be trees blowing in the wind, whatever it might be, okay? Verse nine, and God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the day 
the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seeds and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seeds according to their own kind, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. All right, we are halfway through, so let's review. Day one, God creates light, darkness. Day two, scissors, he separates the waters, creates the sky and the sea. Day three, he creates dry land and vegetation, okay? Day four, day four, we have the sun, moon, and stars. And so you can think of your palm as the sun. The thumb, which is a crescent like the moon, is the moon, and the stars are your fingers shining up above. Verse 14, and God said, let there be light in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light, the sun, to rule the day, and the lesser light, the moon, to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. All right. Then we get to day five. Day five, you have uh, the birds of the air and you have the fish in the sea. And as I read this, you actually get to go back and forth with it. It's kind of cool. It's kind of a dance. So verse 20 said, And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creature, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every, every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm, according to their kind, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. All right, now we get to day six. Day six, you have the animals and you have humanity, all right? My wife said uh, after the service, she said you could do animals like a claw, ah, or humanity like a thumb, I guess. I don't know, but, but she said you can do that. So verse 24, and God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So those are the animals. He then goes on to the creation of man, which we'll cover in a little bit. But if we skip forward to Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, then we get to the seventh day. Verse 1 says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from the work his work that he had done. So for the seventh day, you're resting, right? That's what God does on the seventh day. He rests. And so there it is. All right, so let's just quickly go through it again. So day one, you have a candle, right? There's light, 
darkness. Day two, scissors, God separates the water into the sky and into the sea. Day three, you have the dry land and you have vegetation. Day four, you have uh, the sun and the moon and the stars. Day five, you have birds and you have sea creatures. Day six, you have uh, animals and man. All right, and day seven, God rests. All right, so now on your drive home, you can try that out or at dinner tonight, see how well you do. But there you go. Now you can remember what happens the different days of the week. That's the, that's the end of the interactive portion of this sermon. So you made it through. Way to go. But as we look at this passage, um, there's a couple of things that I want to highlight. Again, you could highlight so much in here. But one of the things that I think is important to highlight is that when God creates things, the different days of the week, he always ends the day by looking at what he has done and saying, it is good. Verse 4, it says, God saw the light was good. Verse 12, he sprouts vegetation and says, and God saw that it was good. Day 18, he creates sun, moon, and stars, and God says it's good. Day, verse 21, he creates all the living creatures, and God sees that it is good. Verse 25, the beasts of the earth, he sees it's good. God creates all things, and he looks at it, and he says that it is good. God creates all things good. Now, now this stands in contrast to some world religions as well as some heretical sects of Christianity that would say that the material world is bad. Maybe you've heard people say that. But they'll say, you know what, this, this, this part of creation is not a good thing or this is a bad thing. You know, mosquitoes, that, the jury's still out on that. But we say certain things are bad, right? But God says all things are good. Matter is good. Your flesh is good. Your bones are good. Everything is good. And so where does, where does evil come from? Where does wickedness come from? Where does sin come from? If God did not create that, if God only created good, where do those things come from? Well, it comes from the perversion of what is good. God gives us good things and we pervert it and use it for sinful means. For example, God has given you muscles to be strong, right? God has given you a mind to think. He has given you a mouth to speak and communicate. And yet we use those faculties to intimidate other people, to bully other people, to speak ill words to other people, to gossip about people, to slander about people. Because we've taken these good things that are good and we've perverted them for our own sinful wants. And we have made what is good and turned it into something that is evil. Now, one way that we can see the goodness of creation is by seeing the order of creation. At the beginning of this passage, uh, verse 2, it says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. It's telling us there was disorder and chaos over it. But verse 2 continues and says, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. To hover over, the only other way that this is used in the Bible is to talk about a mother hen who hovers over her chicks to care for her. And it's leading us with an expectation that God is about to take this, this mass that he's created. He's about to bring form to it and organize it so that it can have this beautiful dance in which it, which it, which it works within itself and supports the other parts of the creation. For example, you just take the food cycle, right? Uh, of the animals that are around, you know, the smaller animals eaten by the bigger animal and then by the bigger animal and then by the bigger animal and it keeps on going until the big animal dies and then the small animals eat that animal, right? You'll read in newspapers about where wolves are being taken out of the food chain, how it's, how it's killing the entire food chain because God arranged it so that it would sustain itself, so it would sustain life. 
Or you take the weather cycle, for example. I mean, how brilliant is it? God says, you know, I'm going to create an ocean. And I'm going to heat it up so that it evaporates into the air and forms these things called clouds. And these clouds, I'm going to blow with wind over dry land so it can water vegetation and give water to animals and to people who need it but are not by the ocean. And then whatever's left over, it's going to run into creeks and then into rivers and then back into the ocean. And then I'm going to do the whole thing over again. I mean, how brilliant is God to do that? God creates systems. He creates order so that there's this beautiful dance in creation. It's kind of like one of those old-fashioned watches that had, you know, sprockets and things like that. If you took any of those sprockets out, or if you just missed time, or, or if it was broken just a little bit, you'd throw the whole watch away because it wouldn't operate. God has so succinctly put together all of creation into a wonderful order that it seems to project to us that there is a divine designer, a creator God. I don't know if you've ever heard of the second law of thermodynamics, but it's the law of entropy. And it basically says that everything in this world goes from order to disorder unless it's acted on by an outside force. All of you stay-at-home moms know this, right? All you have to do is, is wake up in the morning. If your kids wake up before you, the house has gone from order to disorder, right? Houses go, or even if you're by yourself, it goes from order to disorder. And you have to be an outside actor to take this disorder and put it back into order. The entire universe operates this way. Everything moves from order to disorder. And so when it's orderly, it seems to tell us that there is a divine designer who is holding all things together, making it orderly and in creation. For example, you know, you look at uh, well, let, let me move on actually. So, so another part of God's goodness and orderliness of creation is reproduction, both with plants and animals and humanity. But Genesis 1.12 says, The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seeds according to their own kind, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. So, quiz. Uh, what does corn produce when it's put in the ground? Corn, right? What, what does, when, when, it, when an acorn falls off a walnut tree and it goes into the ground, what does it produce? A walnut tree, right? This is not hard to understand. He goes on in verse 22, he's saying, God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And so what do sturgeon fish produce? Sturgeons, right? What do parrots produce? Parrots, right? He, he produces them after their own kind. And then in verse 28, and God blessed man and woman, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so he's saying people produce people. Now, of course, you know, we live in an atmosphere where evolution is the major thought of the day, the major theory of this day. And maybe you're here today and you say, you know what? I'm not a person of faith. I'm a person more scientifically minded, so I don't believe that there's a creator God. I believe in evolution because I'm a, I'm a science-minded person. But here's the problem is that the data to support evolution is absent. There are no links between a cow and a whale that scientists suggest manipulated uh, over thousands and millions of years. There is no evidence of macroevolution of one species becoming another there's no in-between stages that have been discovered as they thought there would be. All of those links are missing. And so you can believe in evolution, 
But you have to confess that it is a faith. That you are believing in something that you cannot see, that you have no evidence of. You know, for us to believe there's a creator, God takes faith. But also to believe in evolution, it takes faith. Because you weren't there when the world was created. And I would argue to believe, if you believe in evolution, I'm glad you're here. I would say you are a person of greater faith than me. Far greater faith than me. Let me explain it this way. You know, we've been in this building for two and a half years. It's been around, I think, for about eight years or so. And you can look up and you can see the ductwork that's placed, the lights. These things up there are called clouds. They're supposed to help with the sound. You know, you have the bricks, the windows, the shades, which have a remote control to it, which is really cool. You can see the plumbing in the bathrooms. I mean, there's probably a million nails and screws in the walls throughout this building. It's a very sophisticated building, okay? What if I told you that 10 years ago, there was actually a large hardware store on this property? And the hard, it, was, it was a Home Depot or Menards or something like that. And there was this cataclysmic explosion, all right? And so it blew up and everything went up into the air. And when it came back down, it settled just like this. As a church, all the wires in its place, all the lights in its place, all the screws on the nails, everything perfectly together. You can believe that, right? You can't believe it. It would take tremendous faith. You know what takes less faith? To believe that there was an architect that designed this and a construction company that built it. Either way, you're exercising faith. I would just suggest that every, every painting has a painter. Every building has a builder. Creation, which is far more sophisticated, must have a creator. It's the option that takes the least amount of faith to believe. Because creation, by its goodness, by its order, proclaims that there is a creator God. And so God creates all things good and with order for us to enjoy and for us to look through to praise him and be in awe of him. Finally, God created one thing very good. Look at verse 26 with me. It says, And God said, Let us make man, let us, this is a Trinitarian dialogue, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. What does it mean when God says, let us make man in our image? Well, there are a lot of things that it means, but one thing that it means is that we were created with a moral compass. Uh, Ephesians 4 says, be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So we were created with an understanding of what is righteous and what is not. Now, we don't only always live according to it. We don't always understand it perfectly, but there is a morality that God has inserted into us to know that some things are right and some things are wrong. But when you look into Genesis chapter 1, he has created us righteous for even a greater purpose, this understanding of righteousness. Look at verse 26 with me. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion okay, dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So if you wonder what your purpose in life is, it is to exercise righteous dominion 
over the world, to righteously rule over all things as God has entrusted his creation to you. So for example, you know, when there's, there's a group called PETA, PETA for the, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, right? And their goal is to prevent abuse and exploitation of animals, which is a good thing. But we don't have ATEP, right? We don't have animals for the ethical treatment of people, right? There aren't a bunch of dogs getting together saying, how are we keeping the bad dogs from biting the people, right? Dogs aren't doing that. Because God created an order. He created us to exercise dominion over his creation, to righteously rule over it. This also applies to our environment. I mean, no matter what political party you are, we need to consider the footprint that we're leaving on this creation. We need to consider, are we polluting and contaminating the creation that God has given to us? Or are we stewarding the resources wisely as he has called us to in this creation mandate? But this doesn't only stop at animals and environment. We're also called to rule righteously in the area of people. Maybe most importantly, wherever God has given you dominion, maybe in your home as a parent, maybe in the workplace as a leader or as a boss, maybe just in the community as, as, as a leader of, a, of some, I don't know, organization. As image bearers of God, we are called to righteously rule, to reflect the image of God and his creation, to, to, to rule with love and with grace and with servitude, just as Christ had served us. Verse 29 continues and it says, And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. Thank you, God. That was nice of you to give us food. Verse 30. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes I wish God made me a little bit different. Sometimes I wish God made me a really good singer. I mean, I'm a good singer, but I want to be a really good singer, okay? Sometimes I wish God just made me crazy smart. You know those people who don't study and like ace everything? I hate those people. I'm sorry if it's you. I wish I was that person. You know the people that can eat anything and they like stay as skinny as a pole? I don't like you either. I'm sorry. I got to repent of that. I wish I was that, but that's not who God created me to be. He created me to be who I am with my gifts and my abilities and even my weaknesses for his glory. And so maybe you're here and you're unhappy with your appearance or with your athletic abilities or academic abilities or you're just unhappy with, I don't know, you have too much hair, too little hair or hair in the wrong places, whatever it might be. God, here, here's the thing. God created the sun, the moon, the stars, the entire expansive unbelievable, unconceivable universe. And he looks at it and he says, it is good. But then he creates you. And you know what he says? It is very good. It is very good. Not only were you created very good, but so was every person that you ever lock eyes with. Because all people were made in the image of God and so are worthy of dignity and respect 
and love. You know, Christians are known for fighting for unborn babies, which is a really good thing. I wholeheartedly agree that we must fight for the unborn because those babies are made in the image of God. But I think we have mistitled this fight. We, we, we have called this being pro-life, when in fact it's just being pro-birth. When you think about it, we're, we're fighting that they would be born. But we also need to be pro-life. We need to fight for those people who are marginalized, who are struggling, those who have depression, those who are homeless, those who are going through divorce or death or disease or displacement or dementia. The, the, the people in this world that everyone says they are not worth your time. We need to be pro-life in those areas and fight and advocate for them because they are made in the image of God and so are of infinite value and worth to God above and should be to us today. You know, I love the way Tim Keller puts this. He says, you know, Bible-believing Christians are called to be more conservative than the conservatives, right? Conservatives are pro-birth. We should be very pro-birth. But Christians are also called to be more liberal than the liberals. We are to be pro-life. We are to fight for the homeless, for the orphan, for the alien. Yes, the alien, for the widows, This is what God calls us to, not just to be pro-birth, but to be pro-life because all people are made in the image of God. And so do you have value? Do you have worth? Well, if you're simply a random accumulation of molecules that accidentally came together by chance, the answer is no. You have no value. You have no worth. You are just a cosmic accident. But if you are made in the image of God, then you are a person of infinite value and infinite worth because God made you and said, very good. You know, if we just came as a process of chance, um, survival of the fittest should be how we operate in life. What Hitler did should not be condemned by us because he was just doing survival of the fittest, right? If people are just an accident, if they're just a random gathering molecules, but we know that people have value. We know that people have worth. We know people are made in the image of God. And so we fight for them because they're created with value and worth. So what is your purpose in life? We are called to righteously rule creation for God's glory and our enjoyment of him. That includes animals. That includes the environment. That includes other people. This is what God has called us to do. This is our creation mandate. Let me end with this. Uh, University professor of biology uh, every semester would bring a seed to class and he would hold it up in front of his class and then he would bow before it, okay? And he would tell his class, he's like, I've been studying this my entire life, this seed, and I can tell you everything that is in the seed, all of the chemicals with the exact measurements. And matter of fact, I can recreate this seed. I can make a seed that looks just like this seed. He says, but when I take my seed and I plant it into the ground, it just dissolves. It is absorbed into the ground. But when I sow the seed that God has made, it will spring up into the plant because it contains a mysterious element. And the mysterious element that that seed contains is life. I don't know if you notice here how God created the universe and infused life into it. But it's pretty amazing. Verse 3, God said, let there be light. 
and there was light. Verse 6, God said, let there be an expanse. There was expanse. Verse 9, God said. Verse 11, God said. Verse 14, God said. Verse 20, God said. Verse 24, God said. Then verse 26, God said, let us make man in our own image. God creates simply by the word of his power or the power of his word. He speaks things into existence. I can tell my kids 20 times to get upstairs and go to bed. It has no power. God speaks and boom, there it is. Many years later, there would be another beginning, a new beginning with another word. In John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And then it says this, In Him was life. I know this is a poetic writing. John was very flowery in his language. But what it's telling us is that the one, the word that all things were made through is not an it, it's a person, it's a who. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And when the Creator came to the world, when the Word became flesh, it tells us, verse 10 in, verse John, in John 1, it says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. See, God brought everything from nothing by the power of his word. But when his word became flesh, we rejected him because of our sin. Because we have brought chaos into the world. And the created humanity that was made by the word did not receive the word. But the word was crucified and died on our behalf. And rose again that we might be new creations in him. Not to just have physical life, but spiritual life and eternal life with our Father forever. For all who trust in Christ for their salvation. So friends, do you believe God the Father Almighty is the maker of heaven and earth by the power of his word? Then we must also believe that his word became flesh and dwelt among us. That the Lord Jesus Christ took on our sin, took on our shame, took on our rebellion, took on our chaos. And he became uncreated at the cross so that he could raise to new life and make us into a new creation for our joy and for God's glory. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that this, we thank you that we are not a cosmic accident. We thank you that we are not just goo that flew together uh, just by chance as if that could even happen but that we were created by the God who created the uttermost ends of the universe. We were created by a God who sustains us and a God who's not absent or far off, but a God who is near to us and loves us and cherishes us. Lord, you are such a gracious God. Lord, as we depart, as we go on vacations this summer, may we marvel at your creation, but may we also Look through your creation and be in awe of our creator who made all these things. As we turn to your table, remind us of how the word became flesh, how it dwelt among us, how Jesus died on the cross for us and rose to give us newness of life, to become new creations. And may we enjoy that as a gift from our creator God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.